Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome once again to an episode of the Green Dot. EAA's podcast coming to you from our headquarters here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm Hal Bryan, Senior Editor for Digital and Print Content and Publications. Here on my left... I'm Chris Henry, the EA Museum Program's representative. And across the table... Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. So today we're lucky uh, to have with us Adam and Kara White. And uh, we're always happy to have some interesting guests here. And you guys, the people we have on this show always have a story. They always think... They don't have anything to talk about when they come on here, yet when they get on here, it's like, wow, you have this amazing story that, that we never knew. Um, and, and you guys certainly have a great story, both of you, both individually and together. And Kara, you wrote a book, so let's, let, let's start with you first, and then we'll get uh, Adam's thoughts here as well. Um, how, well. First off, how did you become interested in aviation? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I don't think I really got super into aviation until I moved back. I was working in New York City um, in television, and I always had an interest in it where I would see photos, um, mostly of World War II, and I just thought that was such um, a classical era, and like it was just beautiful, and every photo always seemed to have more of a story behind it. Um, and I was just obsessed with that, and I kind of was more obsessed with that all through my entire life I was. Um, but I really didn't get into the aviation world until I moved back to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so I'm originally from Ohio when in 2009 and that's when I met Adam and I found his website, um, for Hemlock Films and it said that he did aviation documentaries and I was like, oh cool, I had no idea you could do this and I was like, I'm calling him and so we met, um, for coffee and he had said that he was, wanted to do, um, a TV series about his original documentary called The Restorers. And I was like, oh, please, 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 please let me work on it. And um, from there, that's we... Instead, I asked her out. Instead, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually not the right thing to do sort of in a, in a business meeting or a job interview that's generally well, frowned upon. For, but she didn't work for me, so I didn't yeah. feel I was crossing any HR lines. Well, oh. that's good then. <laughs> My family always said, they're like, you went in for an interview and you wound up with a husband. And I was like, it wasn't an interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it really wasn't. I, was, I, uh, I can't remember what I was doing but, uh, uh, at the time, but, um, yeah, she wanted to kind of get the lay of the land of Cleveland and what the filmmaking community was. And it's like, uh, you know, too long. Let me sum up. So I, it was a point where I said, you know, we should meet, and I can really kind of tell you about what goes on in this town um, that has sort of a film industry on occasion. Uh, uh, so I said, you know, it's way too much to put in an email, so let's have a chat. Yeah. So, but back to your original question. <laughs> <laughs> I got into aviation because of my grandpa. My grandpa um, was a tail gunner in a B-24 in the Pacific, oh. and I had no idea about any of this growing up. Um, like, I remember looking back on it now, like, I learned how to play poker because he taught me how to play poker, and he'd be like, oh, I learned about this in the Army. And as a kid, you're like, well, okay. Like, you don't, you know, clicking together. Um, but he told me when I was in college, because I was writing, my assignment for writing class in college was to interview somebody who's a friend of yours, but not from your generation. And I was like, I don't have, I'm 18 years old, I don't have friends who aren't my age. And I was like, well, Grandpa's my friend. We hang out all the time. And I said, can I interview you? And he said, sure. And I, he's like, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like, you tell me. 
And he's like, well, we can talk about my time in the war. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, no idea. Um, and there, from there, it was, here's my photo albums. And, like, he was a big collector of stuff. So he had, like, all his papers. And, like, he had scrapbooks full of stuff. Um, but that was the moment where I was like, this is super cool. I want to learn more about this. And that's kind of what got me got into aviation, but it was strictly with um, World War II aviation. And then it kind of expanded into more when I met Adam. And when we met, we it was supposed to be like, oh, we'll have 30 minutes of coffee. And it was hours later, and we were still talking about wow. stuff. So I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like, So I don't know. Like, It's not like a family thing. It's not – nobody in my family flies. Um, they think I'm – weird <laughs> I want to um but I don't I don't know where it comes from I just think it's cool so. well and tell us a little bit about your grandparents what were they like uh my grandparents were my favorite people I mean next to my husband but <laughs> good save yeah. that's an excellent save right there um, just fantastic people and that's where I I I am who I am because of them um not to mention I mean, my of course, my family and friends make me who I am as well, but um, they by far are probably my biggest influence um, just because they were really sweet, genuine, fun people. And I spent every day at their house um, for as long as I can remember. And even when I was in high school and college, I would go, people would be like, what are you doing after school? Like, my friends are like, let's hang out. I'm like, no, I'm going to hang out with Grandma and Grandpa. Like... We worked puzzles. We played Nintendo. My grandpa was a big lover of video games. So every video game that's out there, we had it. Um, so, I mean, like, those are my favorite memories. And um, I only – there's a bottle of Mountain Dew on the table. I only like Mountain Dew because that's what my grandpa had to drink. And so when you would go over, he'd have these little Dixie cups, and you would go and get a little Dixie cup of Mountain Dew. Wow. <laughs> so when I get it, he – Adam will buy Mountain Dew. I'm like, I just want a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is not brought to you by yeah. Mountain Dew. Pure and refreshing yeah. Mountain Dew. Sorry. Sorry if this is a Coke place. Yeah. <laughs> I believe we're a Pepsi, uh, yeah. a Pepsi yeah. shop, yeah. so I think we're okay. Good and refreshing Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yes. Send your checks, please, and your complaints. Um, but, and yeah, and like my grandma was just super fun and always. Like, just, I, it's just, she had a personality, I guess is how I want to say it. How do I say this in a nice way? Um, she was very colorful and um, just really just taught me to be, like, be who you want to be. And that's, go from there. That's excellent. <laughs> so tell us a bit about uh, about the book, my, my Very Dearest Anna. How did that come to be? What's the significance of the title, et cetera? Well, uh, I titled it My Very Dearest Anna because that's how... My grandfather, that's how he titled the letter to my grandma. Most of, I mean, some of them are different, but that was, by by far, that's how he would title the letters to her. Um, and he, like I said, we spent a lot of time looking at his photos and his scrapbooks. And he has this um, flowered shoebox. And it was full of all his letters to her. And there's only a couple from her because since he was – in the Pacific, he couldn't keep, he couldn't take them. So, like, he'd have to keep throwing them away as he went. So, he, there's only, like, a handful of them, and it's towards the end. Um, but uh, he would always, 
we'd get through all of his stuff and he'd be like, here's the shoebox. And I was like, no. Like, I was like, that's really cool. I can't read these. For whatever reason, I was like, it's too personal. He's like, I don't care. He goes, let's go through them. I'm like, mm, not yet. And, wow. and I always just said no. Um, so when he, when he, he was killed in a car crash when I was 27. And after, at the, at the funeral, my, after the funeral, we were at his house. And my mom's like, these should go to you. And I was like, I can't. She's like, you spent all your time doing this stuff with him. These go to you. And I was like, I, that's too much. So um, I took them, and I held on to them for like two or three years. And then I met Adam, and I had him again. Like, that was another year went by. And then I finally decided I have to read these. So I sat on them for a really long time. Um, but my grandparents were so sweet and wonderful. To my, I have two sisters, a brother, and four cousins. And those were their grandchildren. And all of them, like, we were all so close that I was like, these don't belong just to me. This belongs to all of us. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make photocopies and give it, you know, for everybody in the family. And the more I talked about doing it, the more people we knew were like, that's really cool. I want, I want to read that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, okay, but well, maybe I'll make more copies. And then it just kind of him and I, Adam and I were talking, and it just kind of developed into this why don't you just put it into a book and see how it goes from there? He's like, if you're going to spend all this time going through those letters, like, and then that was a really great outlet for me to write his stories down as well. So in between the letters is what I remembered of what he would tell me. And then what are my experiences making films? Because since then we've done, we've had a lot of experiences that directly relate to what he did. Um, which has been very powerful for me. <laughs> and I get really super, like I told you earlier, I get really super emotional about that stuff. Um, but that's just, I mean, it just kind of came together and I wasn't working on a lot at the time. So I just took a couple months and sat and I wrote and um, put it together. And then we, we had a book done. So I was, oh, I was just going to say very quickly, you, I think you basically just answered it. So really it was only a couple of months because you've got, you know, in the book, you've got the, the letters, but this isn't, it's not like you just sort of copied the letters mm -hmm. and stapled them together and said, this is a book. You fill it in with the other stories. Uh, you know, there's some other research and context and stuff around it. So really, that was that was only a couple of months. Yeah. Um, That's remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> when I said, I need, like, when I can sit down and just focus on something, it'll get done. Like, How do you do that? <laughs> How does that? Has it ever happened again? It was a one-shot <laughs> thing. I'd say if there's, if there's a class or something yeah. that yeah. we could take. Yeah. All our so. other projects has taken a lot longer for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you feel going through those? Um, uh. <laughs> I, because I, I know you touch on it in the book, yeah. but uh, how was that? Um, it was, I, like I said, I'm super emotional. So it was a super emotional journey, um, which seems so Ooh. weird because a lot of their letters are just like, hey, I went bowling or like I did, you know, it's like basic stuff, but just having that connection with with them, because I already had such a strong connection with them as grandparents, and then seeing these letters, and then it would just like remove, they became another person to me, where it's like, this is your younger self, like you, this is not 
who you were later. I mean, yes, it was, but it wasn't who you were later in life. Because if you think about yourself at 18, (laughs) you're a completely different person. Um, Thank goodness. Yeah, Yeah. right? (laughs) Some of us, at least. Well, right. So it was a really interesting journey for me to be able to do that. And, And that's sort of my family being able to read them as well will be like, I, like, it's just really odd for everybody, I think, to, because I'll be like, it was really good, I loved it, but it's like, this is, it's seeing them in a whole other light, like, you're looking into somebody else's life at that point, um, that's why I didn't want to, originally, when he was like, let's read these, I'm like, it's super intrusive, like, and he's like, I don't care, I, and, but in, in reading them by myself to do this book, I was like, I, my biggest regret is that I never opened that to him because there's so much in there that I have. It just gave me hundreds more of questions where I'm like, well, what about this? What about this? Why did this happen? And now I don't have him to tell me. So it became more of detective work trying to figure out who's who and where's what's what. And so it was kind of an interesting project from that standpoint, too, to do the research and to delve into it. And uh, one of the nice things that came out of it, from doing that research, I was able to find some of his crew members' family. I haven't found any of his crew members yet, and I I think they're probably all passed on, Um, but I found their kids. And I've had great conversations with his pilot was um, Ernie Capone, and I found Ernie Capone Jr. Oh, wow. He was very close with his father, so he was able to relate to me a lot of stories that I didn't know about, um, which was kind of really fascinating because I was like, oh, my grandpa would have been on that flight. Like, like they had one where I guess one of the airstrips they were at was, um, it was very short because it was a, you know, pop-up airstrip in the middle of the Pacific somewhere. And the B-24s could, could take off, but, like, it was just in, like, it was on the edge of a, the end of the runways on a cliff, and they could just make it. <laughs> and, and he said every mission, one of the planes would go over. Like, it wouldn't make it. Because once the bombs were loaded, it was so heavy that they couldn't, like, it wasn't realistic for them all to, to make it. And I was like, I, he, ne- he never told me that. So it's been, it's been really interesting. It's amazing. <laughs> well, it's a powerful thing you've done, capturing this thing, this, uh, these stories, capturing those letters. I think anything we can ever do to put that, human face on on uh, particularly that generation um is important and it's it's obvious when you look at reviews and things for the book that that this is resonating with people who you you know who don't know you who didn't know who didn't know them uh it's it's a powerful it's a powerful work and it stands very very well on its own thank you and uh, thank you for for having taken the time to put it together yeah i think one of the nice the nice things is, is that doing these is everybody comes up and they're like, oh, like my father did this or my grandfather did this. And it's not like my grandfather did anything spectacular. Like he, he came in the war at the end of, he came in at the end, had five missions and then that was it. And the war was over. Um, But it's more about that slice of history and that slice of life where it's more that you can see into, like my grandpa was just like a lot of the other guys who were in there. And it's just that moment in time that you can see what it was like to be one person in this big, right. big giant world. Globe. 
global no, war. And I think one thing is you've you've preserved that letter writing is becoming a lost art form. Right. I mean, who writes multi-page letters to people anymore? Right. Aside I mean, from the ones you send me, Chris. Aside <laughs> from the we're supposed to talk day. about that on the internet. No, uh, that's <laughs> wildly uh, <laughs> inappropriate. And uh, I'm writing one right now, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How do I love the let me count <laughs> the ways? Well, you know, really, that that's something that's and receive it and receive away. it months after the fact. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And who knows when you're ever going to get it? I, uh, yeah, guys and getting letters like my father died two seasons ago. Right. Yeah. How do you how do you wrap your head around that? How do yeah. you how do you do I even know if I'm supposed that? to be sad at this point because it happened yeah. a year ago? It, right. Or should know. I be over it by now, yeah. even though I just found out? Yeah. yeah. I had kind of a similar experience uh, with my own grandfather who uh, who passed away um, not long after I was born, so I never knew him, but. Same thing. My grandmother saved uh, reams upon reams. He was a very prolific letter writer. And uh, it's interesting how you say it. It, it's kind of like reading or, or listening to one half of a conversation. It's kind of like listening to somebody on the phone when you just kind of have to pick up the context of what the person on the other end is saying. Uh, because, yeah, I don't, have, I don't think we have a single letter that anybody stateside wrote to him, but we have so much stuff that he wrote back. And uh, and also it's kind of the same thing. Um, it wasn't until like a few years ago that I think I was pretty much the first person in my family that really looked into this stuff in depth. And um, it's kind of the same thing. You know, he was a uh, he was in the army. He was um, mobilized artillery late in the war, and uh, you know, small slice of the war. But you know, it really is interesting, kind of dissecting that you know a one person's role in that moment in history, and you know, a little bit about. How that must have played into uh, the you know the rest of their lives. Yeah, and it really gives um, gives a voice, and you can hear like how people talked or what their dialect was, and like how he spelled things because stuff was spelled wrong all over the place. You know, <laughs> it's like that's not how you spell that. Um, but he's writing it on a rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bullets flying. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe he's in the back of the B twenty four. His hands are frozen. Bouncing <laughs> around. Yeah, it's I just or like when they. Like, a lot of them are like, here's questions. And it's like, okay, what were the answers to those questions? Yeah. Or, like, she would answer, like, and you're like, like, how did they, it would be months in between some of these letters. Like, how did you know what you even asked originally? <laughs> You'd probably get it and be like, I don't remember what that was. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes what? Yeah. yeah just write yes. Yes. Yeah. yes seven, it. an orange. And <laughs> On the dog answer. twice. Like what the, the you know, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, there definitely is a is a, a, a texture to the history that you get out of the le- you know out of letters. Like there was a one that my grandfather wrote. Uh, he was at the tail end of the Battle of the Bulge, and it was a particularly cold day, and uh, the, the 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 penmanship on the letter is just all over the place because his fingers were frozen trying to write it. <laughs> but you know that's a piece of history, Tom. Like that. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean that's a cool thing to yeah. have just. Of all the shaky lettering right, writing, yeah. you know, because yeah. he's freezing at the ball. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, we, we look at stuff like that now in our in our daily lives, and you know, I know what I know of Adam and Karen, your work. You guys are hard workers. I like to think we're hard workers, but but that was a very very different thing. I mean, I you know, you mentioned Kara, I you know, appropriately and very respectfully that well, my grandpa didn't do anything spectacular in the war. He restored the anti flu, what you said, six missions. Uh, sorry, showing up for one mission yeah. uh, is, is probably harder than anything that the three of us oh, have, ever, yeah. have ever had to do. Uh, and uh, uh, that's what, what hits it home for me. What, what became normal for, for those people at that time 
and you know getting up and going to work was such a was such a almost incomprehensibly different yeah different thing yeah and, and thankfully uh, we don't we'll hopefully thankfully and hopefully we'll never know that absolutely like, yeah and and because of people like your grandfather carrier your grandfather tom because of uh, and and millions more like them uh, we have the luxury to sit here and scratch our heads and say we can be reverent about this we can be fascinated about about this but as you say hopefully and thankfully uh, we won't know it firsthand yeah and a lot of those guys are probably like would have never guessed we would be sitting in a room talking about this they'd yeah. probably be like right. we did it we're done yeah. 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 I'm going to go home. I'm going to open a furniture store or, you know, right. whatever the other professions and things the after the war mentality had. I, I, I think about that a lot myself, but they'd be completely baffled by the fact that 70 plus years later, you know, we'd sit here and, and still be still be talking about and trying to get our heads around what yeah. uh, what they did. Or like yeah. even that their planes still exist in your museum. Right. You know, like yeah. they, a lot of them have a lot of people don't even know they exist. Sure. I, I can't imagine your grandfather there thinking, or his crew thinking, you know, someday uh, people are going to own a B-24 kind of for fun. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's history and outreach and things. You know, some rich guy is going to buy a P-51 because right. it's because it's a blast. Yeah. Right. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah gonna hard to wrap your head around. Fly any of this anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I have to ask you one question, and, and that's, and I, then I, I know Tom has one in the, in the bag here, ready to go, but I got to ask you. Tom's half in the bag. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. You know, we talked about you know seeing these aircraft in the museums and, and out on the air shows, and I know that you had a chance to get back into the seat that your grandfather flew in on a B twenty four while it was in the air. Can you just walk us through that? What what was that like? Uh, yeah. So for one of our projects on the restorers, we went out to Stockton, California, for their bomber fantasy camp, and that year was the B twenty four. And I specifically chose I wanted to do a story about the B twenty four because of my because um, it's my favorite plane, because it was his favorite plane. <laughs> um, so we um, we went out for their bomber fantasy reenactment camp. And so Kat Adam, of course, is like, you know, Kara's grandfather was a tail gunner in B-24. And they're like, oh, yeah? And they're like, you need to come up in it, because they were hopping it from one airport to another to get it to camp. So it was a short, very, very short flight. Um, it was probably like 20 minutes. And, of course, I had the camera in my hand. Um, because now I'm working and I can't fully enjoy what I enjoy the experience. No free rides. No free rides. <laughs> uh, so, um, before we get on, they're like, we have to pull the prop through. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, stand in there. Like, cool. And he's like, you gotta pull the prop through. <laughs> so I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, just, you know. Um, he's like, put your hands on there and start walking. And so that, to me, was one of the coolest I mean the whole thing was cool but like from that moment of them letting me do that to we get up in the air and I'm like okay I'm climbing back into the tail gunner position and I'm like I'm going to do that first so for moments I was allowed to go sit back there and be by myself and really just be like okay like let it sink in and try not to cry and then I'm like because I gotta go I gotta go shoot stuff um so for that, for me, I can't describe it, but it's like you feel it in the pit of your stomach where you're like, this is huge. This is a really big deal. Um, just to have that opportunity to do that. And then um, I was like, okay, now I got to go film stuff. So I'm running all over the 24, getting shots and stuff. And then we land 
and they're like, can you, can you, um, you know, climb up out the, the top of the, the wings and, you know, be our engineer? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, get up there. And they're like, just look at the wingtips, make sure we don't hit anything. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like standing, <laughs> like tiptoes on this, the edge of the thing, like looking out the top of the plane going, oh, wow. okay, don't hit anything. Don't hit anything. <laughs> and then they get really close and I'd be like, please don't hit it. I don't want to be the one responsible. <laughs> and meanwhile, Adam is on the ground with the rest of the film crew. And he's like, well, I'll let you. <laughs> oh, you came wheeling in uh, uh, like Patton on the top of a tank. <laughs> uh, looking side to side, she was doing a very good job uh, making sure that uh, the multi-million dollar bomber didn't run into uh, the fuel farm uh, that they were parking by. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and, of course, we filmed her coming in because what other chances are we going to get a shot of that to yeah. hang up in our office of her hanging yeah. out at the top of a B-24? And our camera assistant was like, is that Kara? <laughs> and Adam's like, of course, of it course is. it's Kara. <laughs> the, uh, the closest I've come to that was sitting uh, on the, the roof of the Wienermobile uh, riding that uh, uh, into the into Kid Venture during Air Venture a few years ago. And uh, that was amazing, but nowhere near as cool. Yeah. So, Kara, you win. <laughs> makes you feel better. You still did look like Patton. Absolutely. <laughs> I, looked, uh, I looked like, yeah, I looked Patton tailgating. Yeah. And you slap somebody up. Just, just like Patton. I'll slap you right now if, if that's what it takes. So um, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> um, so Adam and Kara, um, you're, um, you're, you're actually, you're, uh, as we record this, you're here at our museum uh, going to give a presentation tonight about, uh, mostly about the, the films and, and TV that you've produced. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your production company and uh, some of the projects that you've uh, worked on over the years? You can, well, you can start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, uh, I formed uh, Hemlock Films back in 1999. Uh, I know it sounds like I'm going back, like, well, first the earth cooled. Um, <laughs> Then the, then the uh, dinosaurs, the dinosaurs came. came. <laughs> they got too big and fat and turned into oil. <laughs> yeah. uh, Excellent. We're on the same page here. And, uh, <laughs> I started Hemlock Films, and it was, and primarily it was to uh, do aviation documentaries. And I went to film school and all that, and but it was all primarily to enter into the film industry to work on narrative films. That would be not documentaries, ones with actors and all that. But uh, growing up in Cleveland, which you know, for so much of history was the center of the aviation world uh, that it's kind of fallen by the wayside. And I didn't really know that much about the aviation history and, and in particular Cleveland's role in it until I, I went to an air show out at Lost Nation Airport uh, and they had uh, a few different aircraft there. One of them was Yankee Lady from uh, 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 up in Michigan, their B-17. And I could go right up to it and I could go and talk to the uh, uh, ground crew that was there and uh, I was filming stuff just for uh, my own dem demo reel there, but it started to eke open a little bit more of a world that I didn't know about. And I, uh, the Cleveland Air Show is primarily a jet team show, so, and the uh, the flying aircraft are kept on a hot part of the ramp, so you really don't get any sort of immersive experience with that. But going to uh, uh, the Lost Nation show and going to Geneseo back in the 90s and then into the 2000s started developing some sense of this world. Uh, and then I decided, well, I'm going to naively make a documentary film and just sell it to Discovery because it's just that easy. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it is. <laughs> and uh, uh, I started trying to get investors on it, did not get any at the time, and said, uh, and through a person who knew a person, they gave me the telephone number to a guy named Robert Odegaard up in Fargo, North Dakota. And I said, 
okay, I don't know who that is, but I'll go and call him. And saw some pictures on, you know, the young internet of Race 57 and said, that's got a Cleveland and Ohio connection. I will do a story about that. And me and another guy, another uh, production uh, member, we flew up on credit cards, uh, mine, to Fargo, North Dakota in February uh, to go talk to Bob Odegaard. And while we were in Kindred, where he was based and all that, he said, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to a guy named Jerry Beck. He's just down the road. And I, ha I barely had enough film, because uh, we shot on film back then. And we went and uh, 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 went to uh, uh, Wapita, North, uh, North Dakota, spoke with Beck on camera. They keyed us into the Fargo Area Museum at 9 at night so we could do their interviews in there. And they treated us uh, 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 far better than, I th than, the, than the person I was, which is somebody who had no experience in the Warbird community. Uh, but I was just trying to ask them honest questions about why people are restoring these airplanes and doing this type of work, um, which is, uh, uh, I thought it was unheard of. And by entering into that world with those two gentlemen, sort of giving me uh, uh, the ground floor introduction to it, I think that carried a lot of weight in my mind, and I just kept going from there. And uh, uh, short story long, from... Working with uh, uh, them, just like Bob said, you know who you should talk to? And when I started the, show, the movie, The Restores, back in shooting it in 2001, uh, everybody kept saying that. You know, there's a, guy you should, there, there's a guy you should talk to. There's a woman you should talk to. And all of them were very, very founded answers in, uh, of people I should talk to. And very quickly, I had to say, we're, first off, we're cutting it off because I'll never finish the, the one-hour movie. It already had eight <laughs> stories in it, and I would never finish it. But it always, in the back of my mind, said, this absolutely has to be a series because you would never, ever run out of stories. Uh, with, you know, f over 600 aircraft museums in the United States alone, where would the end ever be? So decided that there would be an aviation series like that, and that's, you know, that was the beginning. Wow. So when you look back on, uh, you know, you two have been on this journey now together for quite some time doing these things, um, you know, you've, you've, you've intimated that some of them, you've mentioned some names like Bob Odegaard and, and Jerry Beck, both, both uh, lost to us now, sadly. But, uh, um, you know, what are some of the other most either memorable characters or, or moments that stand out? Um, I, I don't think you can beat, you know, sort of, riding a B-24 <laughs> into a parking spot. Yeah. So. I mean, by far, that's probably the best experience I've ever had um, getting by getting to do this. Um, besides the day, every day when we get to interview World War II veterans is my favorite day. And most of the restorers was kind of, we do that. I guess we do it that way, too. But um, when we interview veterans, they most of them are very gracious and invite us into their home for the day. Um, and off, then they get, they're like, do you need food? We should feed you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, no. Like, then you're then very they nice. offer drinks. Yes. And then they, or they offer you drinks, which is nice. Um, I, have a, I think you did enough, you know, a few decades ago. This is fine. Like, you want but... us to come in and wreck your home and, like, put, the, put our interview equipment up and, like, spend hours with us. Um, but it is my absolute favorite thing in the world to do is just to sit and talk to them for hours. And what we use in the final piece is minutes. Um, we feel guilty about that. Uh, yeah. 
and it's part of the process. We know that like it takes hours to yeah. just to distill down to seconds. And anything that we ever do, we always on the back end have in our minds one, if we're going to do interviewing with somebody that one, they can have the interview stuff because a lot of the, it ter- serves as an oral history to the people's families. Sure. Uh, and then two, if, if, if it's a project of our own, then we say, well, we're going to make a project, this project, and it's going to be uh, a DVD and a Blu-ray, and these are absolutely going to be extras. So when we did Red Tail Reborn, we put all the hours and hours of Tuskegee Airmen interviews. So if you're so inclined, you can sit on a cold winter night, wing the Blu-ray in, and listen to the Tuskegee Airmen go on for about five hours of interviewing. Yeah. And we did the same with uh, uh, all the other veterans that we end up mm-hmm. speaking with. And we've we've gotten to interview a lot of really, really great, interesting people. Um, and one of the things we always – because people – when we meet people, they're always like, what do you do? And we're like, well, we work in the film industry because we do, and that's where we make a lot of our money is just getting hired on, you know, to make TV shows and film. And they're like, ooh, who's the coolest person you've ever worked with? And we're always like, World War II Nobody veterans. you think. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm what? like, we've worked with plenty of names, like, you know, like Ed Asner and Scarlett Johansson and, like, all these people who are, like, super famous. And you're like, they're cool, but, I mean, in the end, they play pretend for a living. And so, I, w- right. I was getting interviewed to be a, a camera operator on a, uh, on a movie with a bunch of movie stars in it, and the director of photography looked me in the eye and said, do you think you can be the guy, the type of guy that can look a movie star in the eye and say, you need another take? <laughs> and I already kind of didn't like the job. It's just kind of smelling bad to me. And I said, let me tell you who I think's important. And I told him about all the veterans that we get to interview. And he backtracked. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's great. My, my, my grandfather flew with the Lafayette Escadrille. I'm like, stop. <laughs> yeah, stop trying to backtrack. You already dug your hole thinking movie yeah. stars are important. Right. Which, you know, and watching a movie star at work yeah. on set is very impressive. Yeah, you know, you can very, see yes. the craft going, but mm-hmm. I am not putting them on a pedestal over the guy that we met that flew over D-Day twice. Yeah. <laughs> be like, yeah, you're way cooler than that guy. <laughs> like you said, you play pretend for a living. Yeah. Oh, what a cute costume you're wearing right that's very nice <laughs> one thing you mentioned that was funny and i and i did want to say something about him because he just recently passed was uh zach and i uh had a chance to go out to do a timeless voices interview with frank mccauley who was a p-47 pilot in the 56 fighter group and it was one of those deals where it's like yeah come to my house he lived in just outside of uh missoula montana and we were on a road trip and we had planned to do the side trip to interview him and it's one of those deals where we're done with the interview and we're putting the gear away. And he's like, before you go, this is my my only stipulation to the interview. And I'm like, oh, here it comes. And he's like, we're going to sit down and have a beer. And we <laughs> sat down and had uh, had a beer in a frosted mug looking at, at these mountains. And uh, that w- it was just amazing. I mean, it was like, it was like you guys want to stay for dinner? You know, and uh, it was just, like you said, they open up their homes to you. I mean, it's it's an important day for them. Yeah, you know, yeah. To get their story out, you know. And I'm always like, I don't want to take up all your time, but yeah. I know mm-hmm. in the end that they're really excited that somebody's there to listen but to it. Chris, ad- admit it though. Instead of that beer, you would have rather been enjoying a cool, refreshing Mountain Dew. That's right, Mountain Dew, full <laughs> uh, of vitamins mind. and nutrients. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, we've also had that experience recently with one of the wasps. She was like. You guys aren't leaving after you pick up, clean up all your gear, are you? And we're like, well, no, we don't have to. Oh, she went full on scotch. And she's <laughs> like, yeah. she's like, what do you want to drink? And yeah. I'm like, well, like, cause I was like, do you mean like a Pepsi? Yeah. <laughs> do you buy Pepsi? Yeah. Um, or like a drink, drink. So I was like, well, what do you have? And she's like, margaritas, scotch. Uh, yeah. And I was like, scotch. scotch. Yeah. <laughs> 
They, so. they learned how to drink in that generation. Yes, they, <laughs> my goodness. Well, and, and, and uh, the, the WASP is uh, it's fresh in our minds because we just got done doing uh, 12 interviews with them this past uh, uh, fall and winter. And you sit down with them for um, you know a couple hours of doing interviews. And, and also Kara's done uh, chatted with them beforehand and really start to get to know these women. And then after that, uh, they bring out their photo albums. Uh, and you start, and so you've gotten two hours where you've gotten to know these women, and now you're looking back, and it's not archival photos, it's somebody that you really, really know now, and you're seeing her now, again, as a 20-year-old woman yeah. uh, flying these high-powered aircraft back in the day, that it's, it is a, doing these is exhausting. When, and we get back to the hotel, like, I, uh, I, I don't know how to process, <laughs> I, I have gotten to know her, it's in an intimate way that her family might not know about a lot of this material. That it's, uh, uh, you really feel like you've captured something, uh, uh, which, is, which is great yeah. to be able to do stuff, and then uh, material like that. I just went to the, um, the Wasp Homecoming re reunion a couple of weeks ago without Adam, and one of them was like, where's that handsome husband of yours? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, like, we couldn't afford to bring him as well, or he was busy, and she's like... Well, you tell him. I can't curse, but she cursed. <laughs> She's like, tell him I'm mad at him. <laughs> and, I, and that uh, I think he, she made some comment about you taking your shirt off when we interviewed Damn. him. Damn. So. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they are. There was harassment. We had, we had one <laughs> of them here. Harassment. Betty Strophus was here, and we, me and Zach were going to escort her down into the Eagle Hangar. And she gets here, and immediately they said, you know, somebody says, Betty, what do you need as far as walker wheelchair that kind of a thing and she grabbed me and zach by the arms and she says i have two good looking men i need nothing else <laughs> and then off we went to the eagle hanger i'm like i'm Move along up. for the ride on yep. this one you know so betty was awesome yeah well, and and uh, i guess now that we've been talking about them for about uh 10 minutes uh, do we want to just um uh for those of those who are listening who may not know um uh you know who these uh, who these amazing women were the um the the, the wasps during world war ii well, first they are cold. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Again, back to that. A lot of history on today's episode. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the WASP were the Women Air Force Service Pilots, and they were the first women to fly for the military, and that was during World War II. And um, it was a fight to get to do that. It's not like the government was like, you know what, let's let women fly. That'll be great. <laughs> it was Jackie Cochran going in there and fighting. And Nancy Love. And Nancy Love. Yeah, Nancy Love doesn't get her, her credit. Um, and it's kind of one of those, like, who can talk louder? I feel like Nancy Love gets, you know, because she wasn't as... Boisterous. There you go. That's the word. <laughs> Wonderful word. <laughs> um, so, but they, you know, they fought for these women to get the chance to do this. And when it was opened up to them, 25,000 women across the country applied for it. And a lot of them never flew an airplane. Or they're like, that sounds awesome. I want to do that. And then they were like, okay, well, there's requirements. You have to have so many hours. Um so, um, long story short, these women flew for them. Um, and they, they flew every aircraft in the U.S. arsenal. Yes, they were test pilots, um, tow target pilots with live ammunition being shot at them, um, which there's some really great stories with uh, um, associated with that, um, but we'll save that for another time. Um, and uh, engineering, they, they were test engineers, right? They were test engineers, and one of the... Uh, 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 
more notable moments that they got to uh, display their prowess was with the B-29, because the B-29 at that time was called the Widowmaker, because it was having engine fires and all this trouble. And the boys on all these bases were like, no way, we are not flying that thing. And Tibbets got the great idea to uh, say, well, I'm going to have, he was, depending on which oral history, uh, that he saw a couple of uh, wasps delivering, I think it was a 26 at some base, and he said they landed, pulled up smartly, and he's like, I'm going to get them. And he got a, a pair of wasps to come in. He trained them, multi-engine in the B-29, and flew that as a demonstration for the boys. So it would be like, the women can fly it. Which <laughs> and is there was not one boy out there that was now going to say, I'm not going to fly it, when that was, uh, right. uh, when they had engine out, and they handled it like pros and landed it uh, competently. There wasn't one pr uh gentleman out there is going to say I'm not going to fly that anymore. Yeah. Thank yeah. goodness we've come as far as we have from that era. I, I even uh, immediately post-war Air Coop was running ads that it, it was they they found housewives and yes. had them soloing in yes. you know eight yeah. to ten hours or whatever and you know the ad copy itself so easy you know even a woman can do it and we yeah. look at that now it would just it's it's like, face palm mm -hmm. and it's like okay greatest generation but still we learned a couple of things in the last yeah. few decades to a, yeah. certain, to a certain extent we <laughs> as we said we also work in the film industry so we work on commercials sometimes which oh, is sure. lying and cheating professionally <laughs> uh, because uh, to everybody out there surprise every commercial out there is lying all the time <laughs> and uh it is a concerted board meeting uh, decisions that they have you know we have a big giant vacuum cleaner it's like we're gonna have or uh, putting something in a car that's big sure. make sure that we have a woman doing it so we so can display because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we uh, it, so it's not as overt but the subtle sure. similarities yeah, yeah I didn't mean to imply that you know the struggle, the, 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 the the struggle, struggle is over yeah. so uh, yeah. So, Carrie, you keep fighting, girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. Know, you know I who try. doesn't do that is Mountain Dew. Because <laughs> 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 Sorry I started that. Oh, it's perfect. And once again on that note. Uh, so we have, uh, I guess, uh, one, one more question to kind of wrap this up. Um, uh, most EAA members, when they, uh, when they come to Oshkosh every year, they kind of have their um, – they have their, their list of things that uh, they won't leave without doing or seeing. Um, I know I, even being on staff, I have that list as, as much as I can get away from my job every once in a while to, to see something. Uh, what are you excited to see this year in Oshkosh? The or beer do? tent, maybe. Uh. <laughs> we never go to the beer tent. No, we don't. We never have time to go there. Uh, the Apollo astronauts is absolutely 100% what I'm super excited about this year. Like. Adam's the biggest space nerd, so <laughs> he won Are You Smarter Than an Astronaut at this year's Yuri's Night, which I was very proud of. <laughs> well <laughs> I was done. very vocal about, which a lot of everybody's like, are you okay? And I'm like, this is awesome! <laughs> um, which Are You Smarter Than an Astronaut is a trivia thing they do on stage where they have a real astronaut, um, and then they have questions. They'll have people from the audience come out. He's a mission yes. specialist. He's a <laughs> And so he won, and I was sick. Because every year we go, and he's like, these people know nothing. <laughs> I want to be up there. So this year he was, and it was very exciting. But, but yeah, so the Apollo astronauts. Apollo, yeah. Super excited about that. Every year we always, of course, always do Warbirds. Um, and every year I feel like we meet more and more people, and everybody is always so awesome that you just see less and less of the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I've been here 12 years in a row, and I still haven't seen the seaplane base. Yeah, we oh, really want to see that. Um, and it's uh, easy to miss, but worth the trip. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And the ice cream stand every year. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the one or every day, I should say. Yeah, experimentals, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 yeah.
All right. Well, we are running uh, running a bit long here, so uh, as much as I hate to say it, we'll start uh, start wrapping things up. But before we do, um, Kara, I'd like you to think this is a question we ask of every guest, but it's actually the first time. Um, I have to ask you a question about your earrings. Oh. Are they by any <laughs> chance made from pieces of airplane? They are made of pieces of air- airplane. Because <laughs> um, Chris saw me goes, oh, are those, those um, from our B-17? And I said, no. I stared at the ones <laughs> that you guys had, and I said, I really want those. And our good friend Amy Loria, who's with the Minnesota Wing and CAF, um, makes her own jewelry in rivets, and she made these specially for me and presented me to me at the next Oshkosh. Ah, excellent. She's like, here's your present. And I, of course, squealed. And um, her husband and Adam were like, what is happening? <laughs> Do you I recall mean, what kind of airplane they're from? That's the aluminum skin? Um, I would assume it's their B-25. Oh, but, sure, from their, their um, big mm-hmm. restoration but project. the year oh. before, I had presented her with um, a ring that, like what I'm wearing, is the wasp wings. And she squealed like a little girl. And they're like, what are you doing? So I think this was my <laughs> who made thank you present. The, who made your wasp uh, uh, jewelry? Shitsy Reynolds, who is a wasp. Oh, That's no kidding. Awesome. And she started making jewelry because somebody was like, you can't do that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll show you I can do that. <laughs> yeah. so. yeah, a wasp doesn't strike me as, as somebody you, you tell them you can't do anything. Unless you want it done. Yeah, pretty easy <laughs> to go into something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like, you couldn't mow my lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, uh, Adam, Kara, thank you so much for taking some time. Uh, Thanks for having us. To, to be here, to join us on the show. Um, by the time this airs, you will have, uh, you will have uh, done a presentation for us as part of our museum speaker series. So thanks so much again for taking the time to do that. It's our pleasure. Um, as, uh, as we're thanking people, I've got to say thanks to Ty, our senior intern in our publications department, who has stepped up and taken on the, uh, taken on the role of uh, editing, uh, editing these things into something coherent. And uh, you'll have a little to do on this episode, so we'll let the audience wonder just, just what we cut out. You know, <laughs> if this is what you leave in, <laughs> what did we cut out? Sorry, Ty. Yes. Sorry. But we appreciate, uh, we appreciate his efforts. Thanks uh, so much to everybody for listening, uh, for subscribing. Please uh, head over to iTunes and, and or Google Play and subscribe to get the podcast delivered every time it's released. We love reviews and feedback, so keep that coming. Comment on the blog. Uh, talk to us on social media. Uh, send us feedback, feedback at ea.org. Keep the uh, good words coming. And with that, we'll sign off for now. But We'll talk to you the next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.